Welcome to the Association Advisor Podcast. We're glad you've joined us for a conversation around best practices and leadership strategies for association professionals. I'm Katie Brown. And I'm Kelly Clark. How many times have you daydreamed about ditching your current job and doing something totally different? Or have recent events led to your job ditching you and now you're doing something different out of necessity? Either way, our guest on this episode wants you to know a career change, whether voluntary or involuntary, is nothing to be afraid of or ashamed of. Nicole Merrill is a writer, speaker, and experienced career coach. She's passionate about teaching professionals of all ages and experiences how to go after their dream job. Her book, Punched Out in the Face, How to Upskill, Change Careers, and Beat the Robots, translates the hype about robots taking all the jobs into a guide that helps professionals understand how to keep their skill set relevant and their mind engaged in their work. We talk with Nicole about common themes she hears from workers of all ages. Things like, I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life, or I want to change careers, but I don't want to go back to school. She walks us through her approach to overcoming these mental obstacles and how to map your interests to your career path. You'll like her pragmatic advice, such as thinking of your professional career in terms of the next three to five years, rather than the entire duration of a professional career. Exploring the many ways you can learn a new skill or subject area without going back to school. And channeling your job frustration, which let's be honest, we all experience, into a motivation to learn. We love this conversation and we can't wait to dive in. But first, a message from our sponsor, Naylor Association Solutions. Generate more revenue from your print and digital communications, events, learning assets, career center, and even your association management software. Naylor's solutions help your association earn more non-dues revenue to fund your mission-critical goals. We've helped associations across more than 100 industries earn revenue that complements their membership dues. Our portfolio of products and services is customized to each client's membership demographics, size, and reach. When you partner with Naylor, more than 200 knowledgeable sales professionals deliver courteous, efficient service to build your brand and represent your mission while they create new revenue streams for you. We've generated more than $750 million for our association partners in the past 20 years, and we're not stopping there. Your association deserves a fully funded mission. Naylor can help you get there. Get to know us better on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram, or learn how your association can achieve more non-dues revenue at Naylor.com. Four-time career changer, Nicole Merrill, excels in professional reinvention. A liberal arts graduate, she's written for Four Seasons and National Geographic private jet tours, taught digital communication skills to global executives, and sold adventure travel programs in New Zealand. As the former Associate Director of the Career Development Office at Yale School of Management, she coached hundreds of MBA students and professionals through all phases of their career transitions. Nicole's new book, Punched Out in the Face, How to Upskill, Change Careers, and Beat the Robots, upgrades career advice for the future of work. In the book, she translates the headlines about robots taking all the jobs into a guide to help career changers navigate the new world of work. Nicole freelances as a conversation designer and analyst at an artificial intelligence startup. 
She also speaks at engagements across the US as well as in Canada and Ireland. Outside of work, her favorite things include pinball, rowdy card games, untranslatable words in foreign languages, sci-fi, and lively conversations. So welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you all. Now you have a podcast as well, and you call it 50 Conversations. It's about how people make career changes, although recently you've morphed it into a podcast about how to navigate layoffs in the time of coronavirus. What inspired you to start this podcast? Well, the, the podcast originally came out of conversations that I'd been having with peers and in my former life as a career coach about career changes. And what I kept hearing from people was about how they, they didn't know how to make career changes. And they, they only would hear the story of someone was in one job and then all of a sudden they were in a new job and they didn't really know what happened in between. And as a career coach, I was hearing these incredible stories of people making career changes and putting in the work and having just these really interesting journeys into a new career. And so I wanted to capture those stories. And so that's where the idea of the podcast came from. It's really simple, really low tech, right? Just interview people about their career changes, just to learn how they did it and what path they took. When you make a career change, there's not just one path to take. And so I want people to see the many different paths you can take no matter if you're just out of college or maybe you're in your 50s making a career change, right? I want people to see themselves in these stories. And two, I just want to normalize career changes. We were raised to think we're going to have, you know, one career for our lifetime. We know that's not the case anywhere, right? That's just not happening. But we've never been taught how to change careers, right? And so I wanted to, to shine a light on it and give people a path. Cool. Yeah. I, when reading your blog ahead of this recording, I noticed that you did sort of an experiment where you went to a university and you stood on the steps of a building with a sign and you asked people to write down on your sign how many jobs they thought they would have in their yeah. years of their lifetime. <laughs> what were some of the numbers that you got from past? Oh, <laughs> It was wild. The numbers were all over the place. I think the highest I had was somewhere in the, the 50s, maybe. Um, I even had one guy who just said one, and he was about to retire. He'd been a lawyer his whole life. And I was just so blown away. Like, it made my head explode, right? He um, only had but... a job with the company? <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. That was it. I just like that's such a foreign concept to me, right? And to most people. But most numbers were, you know, you had things of like 10 jobs. 10, well, actually, there was a huge conversation around what makes a career and what makes a job. And where, when does a job become a career? That's actually one of the most interesting questions that came out of that exercise. Because I, I had asked people, you know, how many jobs do you think you'll have in a lifetime? And then we talk about how many careers would you have in a lifetime? And it just, yeah, it just got real messy really quick. So the numbers, really were just kind of stand-ins stand for questions that people had or theories that people had. You know, I had one guy who was like, look, I'm going to start my own business, but I'm going to say I'm going to have, you know, five jobs just in case, right, until I get to that point. <laughs> I thought that was really, you know, a good perspective because, you know, it's not like we all just all of a sudden become entrepreneurs without having doing, done a job before, right? Most people don't anyway. Yeah, so that's a yeah. very pragmatic take on it. Yeah, it was. It was. It's really reflective of just how far we've gotten from this idea of what a career is. You know, a career is, it was really taught to us as this idea is like you get in, you work your way up, you, you become a master at this, and you're really set for life, <laughs> right? Uh, go to college, get your degree, and you're set. And we're, we've been seeing that that's not the case for at least, you know, 15, 20 years. But that doesn't mean that the education has caught up in how to 
change careers and how to learn new skills and make sure that you're staying relevant as the workplace changes around us. I bet you hear some really just interesting feedback with those kinds of conversations just in like a couple of your comments right there. It kind of got me pondering a few things myself. In all of these conversations, what are some personal takeaways that you've had for for your own career? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so I'm a four-time career changer. I've changed four different times, some out of necessity, some just because I fell into it. And I would say my my biggest takeaways are really just reframing how we look at careers instead of something that you decide early on in your, your teens or your 20s, and then you're kind of like, you know, just kind of set, which I talked about a, a little bit, but really more more thinking of it as this agile moving process of self-reflection and self-discovery as you age. I argue um, in my book, I talk about how, you know, we, we should be mapping our careers to our lifestyles, right? What I wanted when I was 20 was to get a job that would take me abroad so I could party all the time, right? That was like all I wanted in my 20s. And I did that quite a bit. <laughs> and I would work really crappy job, save up a lot of money, and then go to another country. In my 30s, I was just like, can I get a job with like a good salary and a good boss? You know, that wasn't always doable, but and some benefits, right? That was what I wanted. And now that I'm later yeah. in my career and life, I've, I'm 40 and, uh, and a new parent, I want flexibility in my job. I want a good boss still, you know, still looking for great bosses, right? Because <laughs> it makes your job, sure. you know, and I want something that's going to keep me relevant in the next, you know, as, as these companies changes. And I think that idea of mapping your job and career to your needs is so important and it really gets lost in a lot of conversations about careers right and yeah it seems yeah. so obvious you know but it's that it's that ability to reflect every couple of years and say okay where am i at what do i need in my job what do i want in a job or a career and if you don't find you're getting it then make a change i think there's the key part right so many people are unhappy and then they, they just don't change, whether because they're afraid, totally normal, or because they don't know how, also super normal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a lot of people don't think about the fact that their own lives evolve just as the world evolves. Yeah. And sometimes that pulse check is required, especially do you want the devil you know or the devil you don't? And I think sometimes people get scared even when they're unhappy. It's like, well, I don't like this, but at least I know what I'm getting. Um, and that ends up, you know, pigeonholing people sometimes. And, you know, even as we've seen this year with how quickly the world can change, I think having some of that adaptability within yourself is so important. What are some of the like most common themes that you hear over and over again when you have these conversations? Are there like three or four core refrains that you hear when you're chatting with people? Yeah, I would say, I think about, you know, some of my friends, right? We're all kind of in this place where we're several years out of college and, and you know, kind of settled into our lives and our personalities. <laughs> and I hear things like, man, I don't know. I'm just stuck. I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm stuck. I don't know what I want to do. And that's kind of where the conversation just keeps keeps going to, right? We just can keep coming back to, I'm stuck. I don't know what I want to do. And that's a pretty common common place to be when it's time to make a career change. But what happens is people get in this idea of like, I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. And it's like, wait a minute, we want to stop that way of thinking. I don't want you to figure out something that you want to do for your rest of your life right now. Okay. I want you to figure out what you'd like to do for the next three to five years. It's not what you're doing. We've already established that you feel stuck. So what would you like to do for the next three to five years? 
because that makes it a lot more manageable. Maybe it's not what you're doing right now, the function, but maybe you're doing something similar, right? Maybe you're a project manager for, let's say, a food company, and you're like, you know what, this isn't for me. I'd like to go more into like product development. Well, but still do it in the food industry. Well, that that's something that you could do for the next three to five years. That's not a huge jump, right? That's not as big as saying like, you know, I'm a project manager right now, but I want to go work in tech. Well, okay, now we got to figure out tech is like such a huge field, right? We say tech, but honestly, tech is everywhere. So it's time to start exploring. What do you want to do inside tech? And what do you want to do for the next three to five years? Because realistically, some of, some of these jobs are going to change after five years anyways. So I think it's the, the first refrain is really, you're not doing this for the rest of your life. So break it down into smaller chunks, three to five years. The other piece that um, I repeatedly hear is I don't want to go back to school. I've already done that. And I think um, this is for people who, you know, may have, uh, you know, a lot of people were raised kind of the idea of like you get your bachelor's degree and you're set if you need anything more, you get your master's, right? And we've all, also, you guys have probably heard, you know, the master's is the new bachelor's. We've seen that a lot. Mm-hmm. And people have done that and they said, well, I don't want to go back to school. And I, and I say, I hear you, but maybe it's not you're going back to school. Look at all the different ways that you can learn new skills. Everything from taking some online courses, maybe doing a boot camp, maybe you're um, going to get on a project at work and learn something new, right? Um, one time I knew in a job, um, I'm, I'm trying to learn data science or at least um, some of the basics of, of data science, not to become a full-time data scientist, but just so I have the skill set. And I asked a 22-year-old on the data science team to give me an overview of data science. And it was almost like a reverse mentorship, right? That idea that someone could teach you kind of the, the basics, the building blocks of a subject, that way you know where to go from there. Were these sessions that you held with this 22-year-old over a period of weeks or months? Um, it was a, in this case, it was a week. And then we, um, because I was in a remote job, and then we followed up on um, Slack. Oh. So I could ask questions and stuff like that. Because at the time I was taking some data science courses online. But the problem is that, Sometimes when you're new to a field, you don't have the big picture, and I'm a big picture person, right? That's kind of one of the limitations sometimes with um, self-driven online learning is that you don't know how it all fits together. You might be learning the skill, right? And in this case, I was learning SQL, uh, a programming language to to analyze data, but I didn't understand how it fit into the bigger picture, and he was able to give me that. And so that's a way to learn that doesn't involve going back to school, right? We don't need to go get another degree. Some people do. Some people, that, that's your choice. That's fine. But you don't have to go back to school to get a new career. So I really want to dismantle that idea as well. A lot of people in the association community study for their CAE, Certified mm-hmm. Association Executive. And some people have told me that it's kind of akin to studying for master's degree exams or studying up. Wow to defend a thesis or something, but it's not going back to school. So I think you're right that there are a lot of different options. I've thought about it too. I want to address kind of the idea of of that fear of change. So common refrains that I normally hear, one of them is people being really mad at their job and they're so consumed by kind of that frustration with their job that they can't get anywhere else. This is a little bit different from being stuck because you don't know what to do. This is people are just really obsessed with what how things have turned out. They've invested in their job. They spent time there. Maybe they've invested in their education and they're just trying to, to make it work and it's not working. And what I see is people get really stuck with that frustration. And so what I always recommend is to take that frustration and redirect it into something more positive that can, that can help you take stuff, whether it's talking to people in your field. So maybe you're doing your job elsewhere. Maybe it's not even a career change that you need right? Maybe you just need to do what you're doing somewhere else. 
or it's again investing in some learning opportunities or taking time to take a class online or something that that distracts you from that frustration because i know a lot of people who are just frustrated whether it's bad bosses a misfit in their work and they just get stuck at that point and they don't make the jump to the next thing if you find yourself in that role and believe me i have been there i have been frustrated in my job I may be a career expert, but I've had a lot of jobs and a lot of jobs that weren't the greatest. Probably why I specialize in leaving jobs, I tell people. <laughs> but channel that frustration into something more productive, right? That frustration is still going to be there, but you can, uh, you can do something with that. Use that energy and that motivation to talk to other people, to explore, and, um, and, and ideally learn something else. So that way your brain's at least distracted from it. And I will say that exploration point is so critical. People don't give themselves enough time to explore. They want to have the answer, right? When, when you tell someone, I want to change careers, they'll be like, well, what do you want to do? And you're like, that is so unhelpful. People mean well, but it can be really stressful for people if they're like, well, I know I need to make a change, but I don't know what it is. And you need to embrace that ambiguity and give yourself that space to explore because you may not know right away. And that's totally fine. The exploration part is actually lovely. It's a lot of like learning and meeting people and talking through and thinking through your own needs and self-reflection. And it's such a wonderful time. And so I want people to, to really embrace that ambiguity in that space for, for career exploration. Do you think it seems like there is some pressure to find the air quotes dream job, which is a lot oh, yeah. of what we're talking about right now. But I think sometimes it paralyzes people into not taking a risk or not trying and exploring and I think that we stumble into these careers. It's not yeah. we went to school for degree X and we graduated and got a job and worked our way up a ladder and got the benefits and all of that. So often it's we take the chance on something that doesn't necessarily maybe on paper read like anything we thought we would be doing. Okay. And it ends up being that magical moment where passion meets skill, meets whatever the trifecta of your things that make up your quote dream job, which is why you hear stories of people going to school for microbiology and then becoming real estate agents <laughs> and having these epic yeah. real estate careers. What would you say just that elusive dream job fallacy, if you will, yeah. and, and oh. how to avoid it? Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm glad you're asked. I actually have an opinion on this. one. <laughs> As someone who chased my dream job for a better part of 10 years and then got my dream job. And then after a while I was like, oh dear, this is not my dream job. I, for the longest time, I wanted to be a study abroad advisor. I was a language major in school, liberal arts, love travel, love culture, still love language, travel and culture. And I wanted to work in a university as a study abroad advisor. That was like my dream. That and is a I worked for very specific dream job. That is impressive. Yeah. No, well, it just goes to show like study abroad was so impactful in my university education, right? And it is for a lot of people and it's pretty common for study abroad students to come back and be like, oh, I want to work in study abroad because we, we have this like mentality that we're just going to fly to other countries and visit students all the time, which could not be farther from the truth. It was meetings and emails all the time. And I actually had a fantastic boss and a fantastic team. So that actually made the job wonderful. But the core of the work I did not enjoy. And that was a hard lesson to learn <laughs> because what happens when you get a dream job and you're like, oh, this isn't quite right. So I think totally. this is going back to the question, right? And I'm not alone in this. I've heard from plenty others who kind of went through this. And it's, it's certainly I talk about in my book because it was so pivotal for me to kind of have this moment where I'd worked for years to get that job 
And so then you're like, well, now what? With dream jobs, I think you're absolutely right. There's all this pressure. And I think it's American culture in general. You know, we tend to romanticize things like that. You know, work has to be your passion, right? And it's like, but why? Why does it? And, uh, you know, I have some other theories on that. But to keep it short, I think we should reframe. This idea of you have to have passion for your job is oppressive because it, it makes it seem like if you can't find that, then you're not going to find a job for you. And you get all these people to your point that are stuck looking for it and they're not feeling it. And so then they don't make change. Okay. It is great if you can get your passions and your job to align. When that happens, it's magic, but it's not going to happen all the time because work is work. And there's going to be things in your job that just quite honestly aren't great. And so I recommend to a reframe and that's uh, focusing on curiosity. What are you curious about that you can explore for the next three to five years? And again, I go back to that time frame because I want to make it shorter for people and I want people to think about it more in chunks that way we're doing a little more self-reflection in a couple of years and saying okay now what i'm curious about now that i've learned this what am i curious about do i want to dive deeper is there something adjacent to this work that really interests me and so it's cultivating that that curious mindset that really is what we should be focusing on if passion aligns fabulous but you want to know what if i followed my passion i'd be like playing pinball in bars all day like i love pinball. <laughs> Okay. I love it. I'm, uh, I'm an extrovert, so it really doesn't fit my personality because it's very introverted. You can't talk to anybody, but like, you know, that's not going to pay the bills. And I don't have the technical skill to build, to repair pinball machines. Right. So here we are doing something completely different non pinball related. It's totally okay. You can work to get a paycheck and then go do your thing after work and find your passion that way. I know plenty of people do that as well. Strive for that dream job, but make some space for all the other opportunities out there. Because otherwise, you, you may, be, it may be so narrow that you're missing out on some really cool opportunities as well. That's great advice. And speaking of finding dream jobs, weathering career changes, 2020. <laughs> it's becoming the year of the before and the new normal for all of us. And for some, before means when I had a job and new normal means now I'm looking for a job. I'm looking to shift my career ambitions or need to change careers completely. What do you think people should know about changing careers right now in this pandemic climate? Well, okay. You are so right. The before the amount of times where I'm like, well, before COVID, right? I would say there's a lot to know about changing careers right now. One, if you feel it's the time, do it. Right. I think don't don't wait. When I look online, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, which does not make me a cool person, but it is an incredible resource. Um, there is so much content in terms of learning, in terms of people sharing what they're doing, support for people that are making changes. I'm seeing it constantly. People that are putting messages out that say you were laid off recently and you need to talk or, and we've ever, ever interacted or worked on a project together. I'll, I'd be happy to help you. People that are saying, you know, I'm doing a free portfolio review. So if you've never made a portfolio before, maybe you're making one for your work, boom, you can take advantage of that and so on. I'm seeing communities pop up to help support people right now. And um, I've got a friend who's going through a career uh, program called Teal. And she was talking about the support in the community and how they talk to one another and they give each other ideas. And of course they've got the career training content, but they're helping one another. And I think that's incredibly important right now. And that's what I'm saying. So if somebody is looking to change careers right now, but they're not sure because things are really ambiguous, they're not going to get clearer, right? So if you're looking to change, do it. Don't, don't wait for it. Take advantage of all the opportunities right now. What are some first steps someone should take if they do find themselves laid off? 
great question. Your listeners may not know this, but I had a job up until March and I too was laid off. And it is an odd thing to be a career expert with a book who speaks on the subject of upskilling and then also lose your job. It, just because I'm a career expert doesn't mean I am not, I am immune to layoffs. So just so you know, I am in it with you. When I tell you this and, and why I talk about this is because I want to reduce shame around being laid off. That shame is really rooted in a old school time of when, you know, getting laid off uh, somehow was your fault. It's not your fault. It's the business's fault because they couldn't figure out how to keep you. It's their fault for not having a, a business model that takes care of their employees. So that's the first reframe I want to say. It's not your fault. And I want to reduce the shame around it. The second thing I want um, for people that have been laid off um, that I want to talk about is uh, knowing where you, where you stand financially. So if you've just been laid off, it can be very scary because finances, you know, depending on where you're at, an income level can be really tricky. You can end up, you know, not knowing where your insurance is going to come from. You can end up not knowing basically how you're going to pay for everything for the next couple of months. So what I want you to do is get a budget and dive into it and then figure out what you need. If you need health insurance, go do it. Go find out right away how to get health insurance. Find out how to get your unemployment benefits. Get that taken care of right away. And I know that's all administrative stuff, but it, it's going to take the burden off of you uh, if you do that now. And that way you can focus on the job search later. Right. Um, I know people want, I know a lot of people have been laid off and they're like, first thing first, I got to just, I got to get a job. Well, you're going to have all that stress behind you of all your finances and stuff like that, um, you know, coming into your job search. And that's going to affect how you react to the job search. It's going to affect how you come across in meetings with employers and your network. So I would rather you get that sorted out now before you start a job search. Third thing I would do is to get a plan. To figure out, are you the person that, you know, you got to take any job right now? Well, that's fine. No problem. You know, you've got Instacart hiring, you've got delivery services, you've got driving, you've got temporary companies. I used to do temp work all the time. Um, temp work is great in the sense they can get you working and get you a paycheck real quick. If you don't have to get a job right away, maybe you have a better cushion or you're, you have a spouse that can support you, then you can take time to figure out, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to go do the same thing I've been doing or am I going to make a change? And I think that's important because some people who have been laid off are in roles that maybe aren't growth roles. And what I mean by that is that some of these jobs aren't going to be around much longer. So a really good example of that is administrative assistant. I used to be an administrative assistant for years. You know, a lot of my job was scheduling. And now what do we see with scheduling? We see Candily doing a lot of the scheduling for us, right? Yeah. And then we have chatbot intelligent assistants that do the scheduling for us. Now, let me be clear, administrative assistants do so much more than scheduling and they handle everything, you know, behind the scenes. So, so this is not to diminish their work. They are powerhouses. But what I am saying is that these automated tools and digital tools are chipping away at jobs. And that means that there will need fewer of those people. A really good example, I used to work for a company where I, I worked on a chatbot that is a recruiter. So it hired people for jobs. So it essentially did the job of a phone screen that recruiters would do. Huh. And that's a really human job. And so these changes are happening in the workplace. They're very hard to see. We talk about robots taking our job, but this is actually really software that's doing parts of our job. So it changes our job and in turn may not make your job either the same in the future or as plentiful in the future. And that's something that I think people can be looking at right now and saying, okay, is my job in a growth industry? Is, what is my job going to be that in the next three to five years? And if they're seeing something where it's like, maybe this isn't as stable, it's time to make a change.
That is an interesting perspective. A minute ago, you mentioned that you talk about upskilling. And yes. I'm curious if you mind talking about what upskilling is. Yeah. So upskilling is the fancy new word that everyone's using recently. <laughs> but really, it's essentially professional development on steroids, right? We, we tend to think of professional development in the past as something that your employer gave to you. Well, you know what? You've been working for us. Why don't you go to this conference, right? Invest in yourself. That still happens, and that's still very important. But upskilling is more of you taking the initiative to learn more in-demand skills. And those skills oftentimes are areas of digital skills. So being able to work with tech products, work with software, you don't necessarily have to code, although certainly that's a growth industry and a growth function, but, but understanding the basics of how software works, how it's built and so on. And there, the other skills that are really important are data skills. So your ability to work with data and understand data and how it, how it um, powers the modern organization. And then your soft skills, like communication skills and writing and, and producing content and creating content and stuff like that. So there's all these skills out there that employers are looking for now that are more holistic. So instead of wanting someone that, you know, just does, you know, the IT, they want someone who can manage a product. That means you, you have to understand the IT, you have to understand the basic technology, and you have to be able to work with people and communicate with them, and you have to be manage a project. That's a different set of skills than most people are used to. Most people are just like one set of skills for their job, right? This is the vertical I'm in. These are the skills I have. Now what we're seeing are these what's called hybrid jobs, which require you to use a variety of skills. And now that means that a large section of the workforce needs to learn a new set of skills. And for those of us who may have you know, graduated from college 10, 15 years ago, we probably didn't get this training in college. Just because you, you, you got a degree, you, you are not set for life. You need to keep learning and keep developing a learning mindset and learning new skills so that way you can stay agile as the workplace changes. So really, upskilling is learning. What better time to be doing that than now with the amount of access to information that we have at our fingertips via the internet? Yes. You know, YouTube and other, other platforms that people are doing a lot of peer-to-peer -peer sharing. And it seems like we do live in a world where people want to help others, especially by way of, you know, when you think about the technology industry, and you think about how um, information is out there for them by way of open source data platforms rather than proprietary data and things like that. So very necessary activity to be doing as, as the world seems to evolve so rapidly. Definitely. You've mentioned a couple of resources for improving career skills, such as mentoring, LinkedIn, online courses. We've also talked about certifications. Are there any other resources, maybe some secret weapons, if you will, that you would recommend for people wanting to upskill and keep their skills fresh? Yeah, I think for some people, you know, this idea of upskilling is like, well, where do I start, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's super overwhelming. Um, and so I would, one of the things I love to do is I subscribe to online newsletters constantly. I actually have a separate email that's just for like signing up for things so it doesn't clog my original email. Oh, that's because, good yeah, yeah, because, well, one, I, I used to be in marketing, so I just, I love seeing how people write, you know, I'm a writer, so that's one of it. But the other thing is that 
you know, we're awash in information right now. And that's what makes this so paralyzing. Not to mention sometimes we're trapped in our own algorithmic bubbles. And we're not seeing the whole the whole realm of what's possible. So human curation is incredibly important. There's a skill that, my goodness, the, the machines are not gonna take that from you. Human curation is incredible. And so these newsletters, what I'm seeing is really people just branching out and creating newsletters in areas that are that are specific to their interests or their, their industry or their function and so on. So I'm subscribed to so many like women in data science. I have a couple artificial intelligence newsletters. And I know I'm talking about artificial intelligence here and that can be really, really overwhelming and like off-putting to people, but I'm not an engineer. I came by this on my own. I learned about it and I'm really interested in it. And what made it so accessible is the people that are taking their time to teach it to non-tech people. And so I subscribe to those, those types of um, newsletters so I can keep learning. I can learn about the companies. I can learn about every once in a while, they'll talk about like a course that's coming out and so on. Um, you learn about communities through there. I can't tell you how many Slack communities I join just because I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I'll learn something here. You know, and some communities are okay and others are very vibrant uh, communities where people are exchanging ideas, they pay, post jobs, they tell you, I'll see things in Slack communities where they'll say, oh, I just graduated from this program here. Now I'm looking for a job here. And you're like, oh, I just learned about a course I didn't know about, you know, or a boot camp I didn't know about and so on. And so I think between Slack communities that are being built um, across, I mean, so many different subjects and the newsletters, those are some of your secret weapons if you're looking to just get started, right? And I go back to that idea of curiosity. You don't have to have a plan right now if you're looking to upskill. You got to just have the curiosity and then you can make the plan. I think that is great advice. I know even sometimes I try to keep that level of presence, but I even sometimes fall into that trap myself. So it's an easy one to slip into. Yeah. I think that we are about finished with our questions. Kelly and I have one question that we'd like to close with. What is your favorite part about what you do? Oh, I. <laughs> so let's say pre-COVID, I love public speaking. It is my superpower. And um, you put me in front of a crowd of 500 and I'm thrilled. Like, I just love an audience. But I love training. I love being able to take uh, an audience on a journey and then send them home with action items and then have them report back to me. That is what I love. And right now, pre-COVID, uh, what I spoke on was, was upskilling and helping people adapt, right? And really make sense of all their options. And so for me, it was hearing from people afterwards and the choices that they made. I'm a big story person. I love stories. Career changes are, are stories of transformation. And they're just, I mean, they're like professional makeovers, you know? Why don't we have that as a show? <laughs> but, um, you know, it's probably because it's too messy. Uh, but I love that. I love, <laughs> I love being in front of people and engaging with people and, and hearing the results in the end. And I don't always get the results. I don't get to always hear the results. That's kind of the downside of being a public speaker. But every once in a while, someone tracks you down and they're like, oh my God, I saw you. I did this thing and you're never going to believe what's happened now. And you're like, oh my God, thanks so much for finding me. This is the most amazing news, you know? Yeah, so I would say. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, if all 500 people came to me and said, this is what I did, I'd be thrilled, right? So yeah, I would say that's that's the thing. I love public speaking. I'm doing it virtually now. And, and even doing podcasts, you know, it's the same thing. Unfortunately, I don't get to hear from the audience. But like, I love being able to engage on these topics. They are so important. And we weren't taught these things. I was not taught this when I was younger. I wish more people were teaching this piece of career 
advice now, this upskilling piece and that learning mindset and curiosity. And so I love being able to do it and I love people's reactions. Well, that's great. And you can hear it in your voice. It really does sound like you enjoy it. Yeah. (laughs) You have found maybe not your dream job as a whole, but a dream part of your job. Definitely a dream part of the job. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Well, thank you so much for appearing on our podcast today. We are so happy you could join us and share your experiences surrounding upskilling and career changes. Maybe someday one of our listeners who takes your advice will meet up with you in person and say, hey, I heard you on the Association Advisor podcast and I took your advice and look where I am today. It's great. Oh my goodness. That would be wonderful. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me on. I really liked the discussion. When we initially talked with Nicole about doing this podcast, I thought she would be a fun guest, and she definitely was. But I'm also blown away by how honest and open she is about her career experiences and her willingness to share what she has learned about forging a satisfying career path with others. Yes, after talking with Nicole, I want to step back and examine my own intended career path to make sure I'm living my best professional life too. I love her advice about looking at the big picture that it's fine to have big lifetime goals about what you want to do. But practically speaking, it's better to look at the next three to five years and think about what kind of goals you could set or changes you want to make within that time frame. Yeah, looking at just the next three to five years is much more manageable and causes less paralysis when thinking about reaching your next milestone or working toward a bigger career change. And I also like what she says about exploring the different ways to upskill or learn new skills. You can use mentoring, online courses, certification classes. There's so many ways we can learn from others or from reference materials, especially with everything online. And now with so many conferences also going online and so many people from all over the world willing to make connections through platforms like LinkedIn or Zoom, there's even more opportunity to try something new or to brush up on outdated skills. Totally. And I also appreciate that Nicole laid out a basic plan for anyone who's having to make career changes due to COVID layoffs or furloughs. That is so normal and such a you know common theme this year in 2020. Yeah. I think the key is don't feel ashamed. Layoffs are never the individual's fault. Get your budget, insurance, and unemployment benefits squared away and take that time to plan on your next moves. Being laid off definitely isn't fun, but it does present an opportunity to reevaluate where you are in your career and what you'd like to do next. If you've enjoyed Nicole's insights on this episode and want to learn more, check out her website at nicolemerrill.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-L-E-M-E-R-R-I-L-L.com. And her book, Punched Out in the Face, How to Upskill, Change Careers, and Beat the Robots is available on Amazon. We'll link both the website and her book in the show notes for this episode. And if taking her advice leads to some positive changes in your career, let her know. She loves hearing from people who benefit from her shared experience. You can find her on LinkedIn or on her website. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, let us know. You can email me at kclark at naylor.com with your details and your ideas for an episode. My email is spelled K-C-L-A-R-K at N-A-Y-L-O-R dot com. Or you can message us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at AssociAdvisor. That is A-S-S-O-C-A-D-V-I-S-E-R. If you'd rather stay behind the scenes but want to know more about a certain topic, submit your ideas to us and we'll work your topic into our lineup. 
Again, you can email kclark at nailer.com. Thank you to Naylor Association Solutions for sponsoring this podcast. Visit nailer.com to learn how Naylor can strengthen your association. Thanks for listening. Until next time.